Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Tyler. I'm Jamie. And uh, quick thing. So uh, before we start, um, this past Sunday, actor Ned uh, Beatty passed away of natural causes. He was 83. Um, you and I know him from uh, as Otis from Christopher Reeve, from the Christopher Reeve Superman films. Um, he did have many other roles, obviously, in films and television, um, but he retired from acting in 2013. So his last film was Baggage Claim, which you and I don't think saw. And nope. um, uh, other than that, like for me, I didn't really follow his career. Um, but I know I've seen him in like other roles. Um, I, I, although I did like him, you know, it's, it's a shame he's gone. Um, but it seems like he lived a full life. He had like eight kids. So, um, our condolences to his family and may he rest in peace. You know what? As we're speaking right now, one of his movies is on TV as we speak. Um, Shooter from 2007. Oh, okay. Along with, uh, you know, him, like, of course, Mark Wahlberg, but also, uh, you know, Danny Glover. Mm. Um, like he where he played like some corrupt senator and everything and uh you know he really buys the farm at the end of that but oh, okay. uh but i i liked him in that in the, in that role he was uh you know did a good job being a little corrupt and everything mm-hmm. and uh of course he was also th- that bear character in toy story 3 oh okay or, or whatever that which one ever one that was i, I didn't see it but mm-hmm. um but I heard he did a pretty pretty cool job with that. Oh, nice. Okay. So, but uh, but yes, uh, maybe after, you know, with this passing, maybe they actually will have an Otis Berg in his honor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's only right. It's only right. So, as you say, I concur. Our condolences to Mr. Ned Beatty. Rest in peace, sir. Let's continue with some entertainment news. Raiders of the Lost Ark this past Saturday was the 40th anniversary of the film. So uh, the first uh, that first film really was lightning in a bottle, you know, uh, paying tribute to the adventure serials of the 30s and 40s. Um, at the time, it was really a perfect trilogy uh, of films of all those Indiana Jones films. And all three movies, while they do vary in preference, they don't really vary in quality. Um, they're all good films. Now, when I first uh, saw Raiders, that was, uh, you know, that was probably in the early 90s um because i remember going to my uh to my older cousin's house and he had um he had the the trilogy on vhs so i just i watched them and that's how i got exposed to it to you know my first taste of indiana jones but like the thing is i think i always gravitated i know this is at the time this was probably like one of the more controversial opinions but at the time i gravitated towards temple of doom more but you know, over time watching Raiders, I just, you know, you appreciate all the little things about it and just how really fun and action packed and just what a great movie it is. Temple of Doom was actually my first exposure to, uh, uh, to India and the trilogy, mm-hmm. which is kind of apropos since that's technically in the, in the chronological sense that takes yes. place before Raiders. That's right. Yeah. You know? For me, like, it just seemed like that movie was the only one that was always playing like on, on ABC right. or, whatever what other channels they're on mm-hmm. and um and i played the video game for nintendo which was based off the arcade um which i had no clue what i was doing i was just like playing it just for the sake of playing it it was like oh cool it's indiana jones no idea what i'm doing but it's indiana jones yeah you know and um but um for years i've always said i've always said that that temple of doom was my favorite of uh, the trilogy but mm. you know what uh and i've and we've spoken about this um, the more I see Last Crusade, okay, the more I I 
tend to like gravitate more towards that. Mm, okay. So I, I would probably say that Last Crusade is probably my favorite of the of the of the of the original trilogy, and you know the chemistry between Harrison Ford and uh, you know and uh, Sean Connery just like was just so amazing. Yeah. And they just did a remarkable job with that, and and you know it's it just it's just a fun movie all around and the the premise was cool too you know finding the holy grail and everything and uh yeah but so 40 years raiders that's right and Man. Uh, yep so happy anniversary to raiders and uh yeah 40 years i still can't believe it but hey you know that's uh you know time marches on but uh in more indie news uh as reported last week the fifth indiana jones uh installment has begun filming in the uk um this weekend more photos uh have been put online of harrison ford in full costume along with actor toby jones in an as of yet undisclosed role alongside uh alongside indy and holding some type of object uh in those photos you can also see that both men have tracking dots or markers on their faces so it's being speculated that this scene will most likely be another flashback with a de-aged indy of course this could also be part of the opening we don't know like i would hope but like i said last episode i'm not too crazy about digital de-aging i mean we'll, we'll see if it's used well here um the de-aging tech again if it's used well then it's very uh, then it's you know very effective but it shouldn't be used as a crutch as for the title indiana jones and the empire of evil seems to be the favorite making the rounds there have even been fake photos with that title uh that were online however director james mangold debunked the rumor and uh, confirmed that this is not the title of the sequel which is fine by me because it sounds kind of hokey anyway um, of all the possible titles, uh, fake or otherwise, uh, that have been floating around, uh, Indiana Jones and the New Frontier is the one that I like. Um, but as of now, there is no official confirmation on the title or story. So needless to say, I can't wait to see the first footage of this. So, you know, I'm, I'm watching this movie closely. I, 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 you know, just it's pretty cool to see how this is being made in the locations they're using. But, yeah, I can't wait to see what they come up with. And I, I really hope it's good. Oh yeah, I know. I know this thing is under your microscope, and yeah. you're gonna be you're gonna be on this shit like white on rice, mm-hmm. you know, just like you did with uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah, you know, by by the time the movie comes out, you're already gonna know. You're gonna know like you know the first the first move the first words of the dialogue, <laughs> you know, like uh, who did what and at what time this scene happens like it's like oh my gosh you're not gonna believe i'm not gonna tell you but you gotta see what happens at, at, at like my halfway point like all right i wish you you didn't know it along with me so that we could both be surprised but hey you're the one studying this as if it was uh, the the final of uh, of an of a big exam <laughs> but you know what uh, it, it, it'll it'll be interesting as it develops mm-hmm. definitely and, and so so yeah up next, we're going to be talking about the first episode of Loki. Uh, for those who haven't seen the first episode yet, there will be spoilers. So um, the first episode of the six episode season debuted last Wednesday. Uh, the show is created, written and overseen by former Rick and Morty writer Michael Waldron, who also co-wrote the script for the upcoming Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. It is yet to be seen if there will be any connection between the series and the film. But since this is the MCU, there will most likely be however large or small. Uh, the first episode to me lived up to the hype. I liked it a lot. However, this episode was setting things up or setting the table, as it were, uh, for the rest of the series as we see what happens to this variant of Loki last seen in Avengers Endgame as he made off uh, uh, with the Tesseract escaping from uh, captivity from the Avengers. Uh, This version of Loki was supposed to be the version captured at the end of the first Avengers film back in 2012 who would eventually reform and die at the hands of Thanos in Infinity War. 
But since he escaped those events, uh, this creates a variant timeline which gets the attention of the Time Variance Authority, who wish to delete or reset, as they put it, this version of Loki to keep the sacred timeline preserved. So Owen Wilson's character, Agent Mobius, however, has other plans for him. Uh, he takes uh, Loki to a projection room where he, where we are then treated uh, to like a greatest hits of sorts uh, of Loki's life. So mostly consisting of previous scene footage from the MCU films where he appeared, except for one new bit where he's revealed to have to have been the elusive D.B. Cooper, which is a pretty cool uh, little Easter egg. Like for those who don't know, uh, D.B. Cooper, not his real name, was a real person who on November 24th, 1971, hijacked a Boeing 727 aircraft in the United States airspace between Portland and Seattle. He claimed to have a bomb, but was very polite and, you know, not, you know, uh, not like uh he did take the plane hostage in a way, but he was very secretive about it. So after a stop at uh, Seattle-Tacoma Airport to collect uh, about $200,000 in ransom, which today would equal to about $1.28 million, and four parachutes, he leapt to an uncertain fate over southwestern Washington. So he disappeared and was never to be seen again. However, there were some dollar bills found around where he would have landed. Uh, this story has fascinated many people. There have been novels, comic books, and a good number of documentaries dealing with this story. But unfortunately, if you're looking for answers, you won't find them there. Uh, loose connections, maybe, but nothing more. Who he is or was, whether or not he died or is still alive, is unknown to this very day. But... Here, it's shown that Loki was Cooper the whole time due to losing a bet with Thor, which is never expanded on. Loki is, of course, still re resisting and wants to be freed and believes uh, that the TVA is just an illusion and a cruel trick. Agent Mobius is trying to get him to cut, basically to cut the shit and wants him uh, and wants to be freed and believes basically just to stop playing games and just be honest with him. So much so that he knows uh, that he shows Loki the death of his mother in, in Thor the Dark World, which shakes him up a bit. While this is happening, uh, groups of the TVA's Minutemen are being killed across time by an unknown hooded figure. So Mobius is investigating that, but immediately he went back to headquarters to prevent, to prevent Loki's reset once he heard he was apprehended. Loki finds a way to escape Mobius while trying to figure out a way uh, out of the TVA's headquarters. He finds that uh, they are more powerful than he realized. Earlier on in the episode, while he was being sentenced, he was told that magic is useless in the TVA. During his attempt at escape, he threatens one of the desk workers uh, to help him find a way out and gets the Tesseract back. Uh, while he does find the Tesseract, what he also finds is a, is a drawer containing a few Infinity Stones. The worker tells him that they get a number of those here, and most of the people in the office uh, use them as paperweights. It is then that Loki and the audience realize that the TVA is nothing to fuck around with. So the stones and magic have no power here because the TVA exists outside of time. Whatever rules apply to any objects or people of power do not apply uh, in the TVA. Loki then heads back to the projection room and watches the rest of his life up until the very end and sees his uh, own death from Infinity War. So Loki then meets back up with Agent Mobius and is finally honest with him. He does, in fact, know himself. He does like he, he doesn't like killing. He does what he does because he feels uh, he is weak and uses his abilities to intimidate and manipulate people to get what he wants. He is nothing more than a villain. So, but Mobius himself doesn't see it that way and asks for his help in tracking down the figure who has been killing the TVA Minutemen, which he reveals is another variant of Loki. And that's the episode. As I said, I liked it. I really did. Well, it didn't have a lot going on in the way of action. Uh, it did a fantastic job of setting up where Loki is now and what his new role is, as well as uh, the show's premise and season. Uh, the performances were great. Tom Hiddleston is still fantastic as Loki, and the rest of the supporting cast was good as well. 
and uh, welcome Owen Wilson to the MCU. He was great as Agent Mobius, whose character was created in the comics as an homage to uh, Mark Grunewald, who was a former writer and editor at Marvel Comics, who was shown as uh, who was basically known as an idea factory uh, for the company and had an amazing knowledge of Marvel's continuity at the time. He also wrote many classic Captain America stories during his ten-year uh, run on the title uh, from the mid-80s to the mid-90s. Uh, the character would also later resemble former Marvel writer and editor Tom DeFalco. The Time Variance Authority was created in the 80s by Walter Simonson and Sal Buscema during Walt's iconic run on Thor. They would go on to appear in subsequent titles like the Fantastic Four and She-Hulk. The show also added more depth and vulnerability to Loki's character, so we learned why he did the things he did and that he didn't like doing them. It really turned uh, the microscope on himself and forced him to confront his own actions. I also liked how he uh, accused the TVA at first of being an illusion or a form of intimidation uh, to the weak so they can take advantage uh, so they can take advantage of that and then admits in the end that the same criticism those same criticisms about himself. So it's a nice little turn there. The other thing uh, is as of now this version of Loki technically has free will to live his life how he wants because according to the TVA, uh, everyone has a set path they are supposed to take from beginning to end, and they know all of what your life story is. So they alluded to the fact that there that there is no free will, really. However, this variant of Loki splintered from that timeline, and his destiny uh, is unknown. So now his life story is up in the air, which I hope they do touch on more. As for the other Loki variant, there has been a lot of fan speculation, especially if you follow the comics, that this variant will be fe- will be the female version of Loki. In the comics, Loki is gender fluid, so that will most likely come into play here. The other thing to note as well is that I don't think this variant will be an outright villain so much as just an antagonist. Remember, we're dealing with timelines and fractured timelines, especially concerning the god the god of mischief. So this variant of Loki could possibly have good intentions and maybe the TVA could be the real villains. Who knows? What if what happened to this variant of Loki already happened to the other variant uh, killing the TVA's uh, Minutemen? It's only the first episode, but there are a lot of interesting possibilities. Also, while it was stated uh, that the Avengers were supposed to do the time heist in Endgame, what about Steve Rogers? Was he supposed to do what he did? Will the TVA come after him as well? We have five episodes to go, so we'll see. Jamie, what would you think? I like the show uh, in general, um, pretty much for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned. Uh, Tom Hiddleston, of course, just like just I just feel he's born for that role. Yeah. And uh, Owen Wilson, it just seems like a good fit uh, into the show and stuff. And and, um, I can't wait to see what unfolds. You know, like I'm hoping I'm hoping there'll be like some genuine uh, surprises and stuff. And uh, I'm uh, definitely definitely checking it out. And um, overall. I'm very happy with it. I think uh, Marvel Studios like uh, got another winner on their hands and um, can't wait to see. uh, I can't wait for episode two. Oh, yeah, man. Same here. So uh, moving on, uh, the trailer for the Masters of the Universe Revelation, Kevin Smith's sequel to the 1980s He-Man cartoon debuted last week. It looks good. It's updating and keeping the designs of the original show as well as giving more depth to the characters. So, uh, But let's not forget uh, that the 2002 version did something similar. I would also check that version out too. It's really good. So, However, the story for this series is set after the final battle between He-Man and Skeletor and deals with Tila, who, after the destruction of Eternia, seeks out the missing sword of power to prevent the end of the universe. So that's pretty interesting. So so Tila seems to be the main focus here. 
Uh, the series will be split into two parts, uh, with the first part debuting on July 23rd of this year. Uh, from what I've seen, I'm looking forward to it. Mark Hamill will also be voicing Skeletor, so that's pretty cool. We also have Buffy herself, Sarah Michelle Gellar, as Tila, Lena Headey as Evil Lynn, Alicia Silverstone as Queen Marlena, and Phil Lamar as Hero, who was the defender of Castle Grayskull before He-Man, who was part of a prehistoric Eternia and was a powerful wizard named Grey who became Hero. Uh, the character never showed up in the series, uh, in the original show, because it was part of a canceled spinoff and toy line, but did, however, briefly show up in the 2002 adaptation of the series. So we'll see what this version of him is. So, uh, yeah, man, I liked it. I, I think uh, so far that trailer has me a little... Uh, I didn't I didn't know what to think of this when I first heard about it. Like, Kevin Smith doesn't necessarily have a great track record of quality, but when I see this trailer, this looked this looked promising. It looked really good. Um, uh, I agree. Um... I loved I loved how like uh, the animation looked in this like mm-hmm. I, I thought I thought the whole thing was just gorgeous um, yeah and it was very reminiscent of the of the O2 series and uh, which I'm which I'm which as you know I'm a huge fan of and uh, if someone out there is listening that's in charge of this please release that series on Blu-ray please you know yeah, that'd be nice yeah I, I'm not I'm not gonna pay a hundred bucks for the entire series from some third party <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, dealer or whatever come on man it's time it's time that that got re-released you know and it was it was much easier to watch than not saying anything bad about the original 80s show i watched the 80s show too and stuff and i I was able to like get through it but it's like when you get older and you start to understand things a little better watching that show like i can only watch it just to get it out of my system and and that's it you know i don't intend on like collecting a whole like that whole series you know i have one volume i'm good with that volume and and that's it now as for the o2 series you know like that i need to have because that you know that was just such a such a great show it was uh, action-packed great stories and stuff and great characters and um so with that in mind like revelations i can't like uh wait for so it looks good and uh and it, it it has a lot of promise so definitely definitely going to be tuning into that so jamie are we going off the top rope we are going off the top rope we're not only going off the top rope we're going off the top rope in your house well not in your house but y- you get the idea So, uh, a lot of stuff to talk about, um, for the most part, uh, NXT in your house was on last night and, um, we got a, you know, and then of course NXT put on yet another, uh, memorable show, um, capping, uh, starting it off, you know, we had Bronson Reed, the North American champion and MSK, the NXT tag team champions, putting all their belts on the line in a six man tag uh, match where the winners take all against Legado del Fantasma, of course uh, Santos Escobar, and uh, and his peoples challenging for all the belts. For instance, if San- if if uh, if Legado were to win, then Santos Escobar would be the North American champion, and his two flunkies would be the tag team champions. However, it would be Bronson Reed and MSK who would become victorious and retain their championships. Uh, following that up, we have Zia Lee, um, as part of Tian Sha, uh, which I believe is, yeah, um, as part of, along with Boa and whoever her 
master is, I guess, right? Uh, taking on Mercedes Martinez. Now, basically, this is uh, a match of revenge from four years ago when they met at the May Young Classic in 2017, uh, where Mercedes Martinez defeated Zia Lee to eliminate her from the tournament. Apparently, Zia Lee uh, kind of is uh, holding grudges, and with this new attitude of hers, she was able to pull off the win and defeat Mercedes Martinez. So who knows uh, where like where that's going to go, if, if that ends that feud, or if they're going to move on to bigger, better things. We'll see. Um, for the return of the Million Dollar Championship, courtesy of the Hall of Famer Ted DiBiase, L.A. Knight takes on Cameron Grimes in a in a ladder match to see who would be the the predecessor to the million dollar man and become the new million dollar champion. And yet another classic match um between these two. Uh well another another classic match of the night. And going back and forth and stuff. Cameron Grimes came very close to capturing the million dollar championship, but it would be LA Knight would become the new million dollar champion and of course meaning it was a new predecessor to the million dollar man and that's not just uh, that's not just uh, an opinion that is a fact of life as LA Knight would say so LA Knight new million dollar champion speaking of championships the women's championship was on the line as champion Raquel Gonzalez would take on Ember Moon Ember Moon trying to go for her second NXT women's championship challenging Raquel Gonzalez and uh, of course action was going back and forth uh, two women put on uh, one hell of a show but thanks to some interference by Dakota Kai Raquel Gonzalez's friend and despite the efforts of Shotzi Blackheart trying to fend her off it would be Raquel Gonzalez that would defeat Ember Moon and retain her NXT Women's Championship and in the main event it would be Karrion Cross defending his NXT championship against the likes of Kyle O'Reilly, Adam Cole, Johnny Gargano, and Pete Dunne in a fatal five-way. And as expected, this whole match was just chaotic from the jump. A lot of close calls, a lot of a uh, lot of uh, near uh, near falls and everything. And uh, at one point, even Karrion Cross got even taken out of action. And so many chances for all these guys to defeat uh carrying cross to uh well actually in this match like he doesn't even have to be pinned or submitted to to lose the title but in the end it would be carrying cross who would be successful and defeat his four adversaries to become well still the nxt champion so let's see how where this goes from here as uh what is the uh, next challenge is going to be we'll find out tuesday um in other news, still in NXT-wise, uh, it's been reported that Samoa Joe is going to come back to NXT but in a non-wrestling capacity. So who knows uh, what that's going to entail. For those that saw uh, NXT in your house, you saw that at the end, uh, William Regal uh, realizing that he's tried so hard to like keep things under control, but because the inmates are running the asylum, he's starting to feel that like a change is needed. Now, that doesn't exactly mean he's going to step down. That doesn't exactly mean that that he's going to quit or anything like that. We won't know until Tuesday when if we get some more answers as to what he means by that. Will Samoa Joe 
take over or will he like be an assistant to him? Kind of like uh, Sid Scala is the assistant to Johnny Saint in NXT UK. We don't know. We'll, we'll have to find out this Tuesday to see what what uh, what develops. In New Japan news, Kota Ibushi and Jeff Cobb were in a tremendous match in which uh, yeah, it's just a special singles match, kind of like a grudge match, and it would be Kota Ibushi that would become the winner of the match by defeating Jeff Cobb with the Kamagoye. But the big uh, news of that night at Dominion would be that Shingo Takagi in a in a 36-minute classic would pull off a big win and defeat Kazuchika Okada for the now vacant IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Will Ospreay had to vacate the title because of an injury and therefore uh, the top two contenders that were challenging him for that title would meet each other uh, for said belt, and it would be Shingo Takagi, the dragon, that would pull off a big win and become the new IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Personally, I would have made the World Heavyweight Championship the top prize at this year's G1 Climax. You know, instead of the shot at the title at Wrestle Kingdom, I would have made the title itself like the top prize. But you know what? Uh, I trust what New Japan's doing. It's gonna, it's gonna definitely make uh, the G1 a lot more interesting in itself. So, congratulations to Shingo Takagi, uh, and of course, congratulations to everyone at NXT uh, Takeover last night. Hell in a Cell is this Sunday, and here's a quick rundown of the matches that we're gonna be seeing at that time. Rhea Ripley will be taking on Charlotte Flair as Rhea Ripley defends her and uh, not NXT. She was NXT Women's Champion, but that was a long time ago. She's the Raw Women's Champion, so she'll be defending her belt against Charlotte Flair. Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre will be taking on one another again, this time in a Hell in a Cell match, for the WWE Championship. So, uh, this feud is on the cusp of of dragging. I'm kind of ready for this to be done with. Hopefully, this is the last time these two wrestle and win or lose. I hope they just both move on and feud with someone else. Because at this point, I just really don't care. Plus, Hell in a Cell matches have been more of a PG uh, type affair anyway. Uh, they're not they're not as brutal as they once were. Um, Bianca Belair will defend her SmackDown Women's Championship against Bayley. Um, that should be a, a good one as she defeated uh, Bayley last month. So we got the rematch going. And um, hopefully Bianca Belair will... will uh, I predict for her to to pull it off the win. And in the main event, in another Hell in a Cell match, we have the Universal Champion, Roman Reigns, or as I call him, Average Joe, with the average music. He'll be taking on uh, former world champion, Rey Mysterio, and current tag team champion, along with his son, Dominic, in a Hell in a Cell. So, we'll see how this develops. Not really, can't really say I'm looking forward to this, or, or I'm excited, but you know I have to watch it, so... Uh, I'll have I'll have full results next week, and uh, we'll see how this uh, uh, turns out. I mean, I don't know. You never know. I mean, sometimes a pay-per-view will shock me and actually turn out to be good. Will this be one of them? I don't know. We'll have to just wait and see, and I will bring you every detail that I can. Tyler? Thanks, man. And uh, that's our show. Thanks for listening. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts, as well as our quick channel Instagram and Facebook pages. Please subscribe or drop a review, preferably both, and we'll see you next week.
And be sure to check out my nephew's podcast, The Jeter and Mason Show, on Spotify. Only five minutes of your time, but trust me, you're going to get a good laugh out of them. By lunchtime, I'd pretty much forgotten about the whole thing.